Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're talking today, starting a series called Living Kingdom Truth. And it's going to go, it's just amazing. I I asked the Lord, how am I going to transition from what he says into what I'm going to be preaching from Matthew? And I I had never met him before. I didn't know what he was going to be presenting. But this is just absolutely amazing. You know, the Bible tells us this, that we are members of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about exactly who we are in Christ. Uh, This morning's message is entitled, Why Should You Be Happy? Why should you be happy? All the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, all the things that you're going through, why in the world should you be happy? Jesus is going to tell us this morning as we start this study in, in, uh, uh, of, the, of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at why you and I, why, Jesus, why does Jesus say we should be happy? Let me start off by saying this. God tells us in Ephesians that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What exactly does that mean? Well, when you got saved, when, when Sam Brown called unto Jesus and said, Jesus, save me, when you, wherever you were, called on Jesus and asked him to save you, several things took place instantaneously. This is what took place. First of all, you became spiritually alive. You were spiritually dead. You had a body and a soul, but your spirit was dead. You were separated from God, unable to communicate with God. John says that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. You were spiritually dead, but when you asked Jesus to give you, uh, give you eternal life, the Bible tells us this, that he his spirit came to live inside of you and he quickened you. He made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. After that, at the same time, not after, but at the same time that that happened, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwells in you. At the moment you got saved, his spirit came to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit came to live inside. When he came, he brought Jesus with with him. And when he, when he brought Jesus with him, he brought the Father with him. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living inside of you through the Holy Spirit. At the moment you got saved, you became alive. The Spirit of God came to dwell inside of you. And at that time, God declared you just. He said, you are holy. You are just. You were, you were justified by faith. You now have peace with God. That's an amazing thing. You are justified. At the moment you get saved, you became justified. So now Nobody can make any accusation against you because the God of the universe has declared you just. You are holy in his sight. That's an amazing thing. Beyond that, the Bible says, whom he justified, then he also glorified. At the moment you got saved, he glorified you. What does that mean? He made you like Jesus. In the heavenlies, you are like Jesus. You 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 are his representative. That's what happened. By the way, that's why you can never lose what God has given you. You can never throw 
throw away your salvation, you have already been made his child. But beyond that, he, he, he made you alive. His spirit came to live inside of you. He justified you. He glorified you. But the Bible also says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It's not something that's going to happen. We are sons of God. You became a child of God. At the moment you got saved, you became his child. And the Bible says now, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. The Spirit itself beareth witness with, with uh, our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, and listen to this, you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. At the moment you got saved. He didn't wait and said, well, we'll see how you're doing. No, he gave it to you at the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Beyond that, the Bible says he sat us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have a seat waiting for you in heaven. You, In fact, beyond that, say in the spiritual realm, you're already sitting in heaven with God Almighty as your Father. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You become a kingdom representative. At the moment you get saved, you are in the kingdom of God. It's not like you're going to become. It's not like you go into the kingdom. You became a kingdom member. So you became, you went from death to life. The Spirit of God came to live inside of you. You were justified by grace through faith. You were glorified, became like Jesus. Jesus welcomes you as his brother. He makes you joint heirs that everything belongs to Jesus has now belongs to you. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and you are a representative now of his kingdom. And he wants you to know that. Can you say amen to that? It's what God's done for you. Sam, that's what happened to you at the moment you got saved at the moment you were there on fire and God heard you and did that for you at the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. Now, at the same time, we're still living in a corrupt world. We live in a world where there's hurt and there's, and there's anguish and there's, and there's problems and, and we need to understand that, that when Jesus came into the world, Jesus came, he didn't have to be born again, he, didn't have, he was God in human flesh. But he came as a representative into a hurting, broken world. He came to a land, he came to, to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was broken. The nation of Israel was divided. The nation of Israel had, had problems, major problems. They were an occupied nation. They wanted their land to be their land, but it wasn't their land, it was Roman land. They wanted, they wanted all that was there that they had lost. They wanted it back. They wanted their, they wanted their land. And, they, and there, was, there was persecution, there was, there was bitterness, there was, a, there was a 50% infant mortality rate back then. So there were people who were poor, there were people who were hurting, there were people who were blind, there were people who, who were in mourning. They were, they were, it was a, a horrible time for the nation of Israel. Then a man comes into the wilderness and he starts preaching that a Messiah is coming. 
His name was John the Baptist. He preached that a Messiah was coming, and then one day this man comes along, and he baptizes him, and the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and lands on his shoulders, and they hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That man disappears into the wilderness for, for 40 days. He's tempted of the devil, comes back after defeating the devil, goes to his hometown. When he goes to his hometown, he declares that he is the Messiah. He's rejected there, but then he goes out into Israel, uh, into the land of Galilee, and he begins to preach the gospel. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, uh, just... Um, the, the last two verses of the last chapter it says, and Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. These were people who saw their need and they came and, they, and he was healing all manner of sickness and disease amongst the people and his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse uh, diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those that were lunatic and those that were had palsy and he healed them and the Bible says in verse 25 and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee from Dicopolis from Jerusalem from Judea and from beyond Jordan. I want you to see this map of Israel. I want you to see that Syria is way up here at the top of the map. I want you to see that Idumea is way down here at the bottom of the map. I want you to see that Decapolis is way over here to the right of the map. And the Bible says that Jesus was there in that pink area called Galilee. He was there and people walked. They didn't drive their anything they walked miles and miles and miles because the fame of Jesus Christ had spread everywhere they had heard that he healed sick people they had heard that he was the Messiah they had heard that that lame people were walking they were they had heard that blind people were seeing they were they were they had heard all this wonderful stuff and they're traveling and they're bringing their sick they're bringing their their their, their, their those that were in need they're bringing them to where Jesus is and the Bible tells us that multitudes came to hear what he had to say. These were hurting, poor people that knew they had needs. They were people that were mourning. They were people that were bitter at the Roman. So they, they were people that, that wanted the Romans to be destroyed. They were, they were hurting people in a hurting time. And they all are coming to where Jesus is. And they get there, and the Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 1, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he is set, and the idea of the mountain is just a hillside. He went up to, the, to a hillside. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. That's not us talking about the 12 disciples. It's talking about all those that came that were following him. A disciple was a follower. They, they're coming to hear what he has to say. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. Father, in the next few minutes, I pray you'll help me to teach your people what you taught those people that day on that mountainside. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He sits them all around him. He's up on a hill so that they can all see him. The, the water is behind him to reflect his voice so that he can be heard by this multitude, this innumerable crowd of people. He sits them down 
and the very first word he uses is the word happy. Happy. The word blessed in your Bible where it says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying blessed, the word means happy, made happy, made happy. He says to them this. He says the very first thing, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. What is it? Why does, does God say happy are the poor in spirit? Well, Brother Sam told us that. Listen, you can't get anything from God until you realize you need something from God. A poor person understands their need. A poor person understands they need something that they can't do it themselves. There are people who are trying to work their way to heaven by going to church, by being baptized, by, by doing good works, by, by, by being a nice citizen. There's people who are trying to work their way to heaven in so many different ways, and there is no way to do that. You see, they're not poor in spirit. They think that they can do it. They think they can be okay. I had a man say to me one time, I was sitting in my office with him and a young lady. The young lady had gotten pregnant. She was a Christian. He was not. And I said, I talked to him about becoming a Christian. He said to me, he said, oh, he said, um, he said, I don't want to become a Christian. I said, why? He said, you Christians think you're so much better than everybody else. I said, really? He said, he said, he said yes, you, you walk around condemning people. You think you're so much better than everybody else. And I said, I looked at him and I said, um, well, let me, let me ask you a question. So you don't think you need to be saved? No. I said, well, that's the difference between you and me. I said, you see, in order to become a Christian, I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I have to admit that I deserve to go to hell. I have to admit that there's no way I can do anything myself. I am no, there's no goodness in myself. In order to become a Christian, I have to come to Jesus and say, I need a Savior. I need someone to save me from my sin. And I ask Jesus to give me eternal life. And I get to go to heaven because of what he did. I said, however, you say, on the other hand, you don't need a Savior. You can get to heaven on your own. You can do it all yourself. You don't need a Savior. It seems to me, I said to him, it seems to me that it's not us that think we're better than you. You think you're better than, than us. You don't need a Savior. We need a Savior. You've not sinned. We have. I said, think about that. The truth of the matter is, in order to become a child of God, you have to become poor in spirit. Well, why does being poor in spirit make me happy? Why does he say happy are the poor in spirit? Here's why. He tells us the answer to that. He says, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The only way you get into the kingdom of heaven is by admitting, I'm, I'm, I'm deserving of hell, and I need a Savior, and we're poor in spirit. We ask Jesus to save us. So he says, happy are you if you're poor in spirit? He says to this crowd of poor people who are mourning, he says, listen, happy are you if you're poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, number two, happy are they that mourn. Now, why should the mournful be happy? Why should the mournful be happy? How can a mournful person be happy? Here's why. Here's why. Because he says, they shall be comforted. You see, if uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a society where 50% of the culture, uh, there, there's a 50% mortality rate, there is mourning everywhere. We mourn when we lose somebody. We mourn when we, when we lose a child. I can't think of anything more, more 
tragic than the loss of a child. We mourn. We mourn when we lose any loved one. But here's what happens. See, without Christ, there is no end of mourning. Without Christ, I've never seen this person again. Without Christ, there's infinite loss. Without Christ, there is no way. There's no hope. But with Christ, with Christ, there's eternal life. Say amen to that. With Christ, with Christ, there's resurrection. With Christ, there's comfort, the comfort of knowing that there is a purpose and that we will see each other again. The Bible says this. Paul said it this way. He says, for we know. It's not something we think. We know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle, if I were to die physically, were, were if, if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. There's something, there's a body waiting for me in heaven. There's a body that's mine in heaven. And as soon as this body stops functioning, I get to go to that one. That's what Paul says. Paul said it this way. He said this, but I would not have you to be ignorant. I want you to have an understanding of something, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. What about our friends that have died? Hey, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Say amen to that. We are going to heaven. We're going to be with him. My mother's been in heaven for some time. My father's been in heaven much longer than that. We, I have loved ones that passed away this year, but I, they, they're not gone. They're alive. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me will never die, but will live forever. That's, that's what Jesus said. Say amen to that. Jesus said, we have comfort. We have hope. So the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. Jesus said, you're, if you're mourning, it's okay because I'm here to comfort you. God gives us comfort. As believers, we don't just mourn over the death of loved ones. We mourn over our sin. If you are genuinely a child of God, it doesn't mean you cease from sinning. It just means this, that when you do sin, when you do sin, it grieves your heart. When you do something wrong, when you say, I'm not going to cuss that guy out, and then you do, it grieves your heart. You say, I'm not going to punch that guy, and, and you do, it, it grieves your heart. When you say, I'm not going to eat that stuff in the refrigerator, and you do, it grieves your stomach uh, and your heart. See, it, 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 and what happens is this is what the devil does. The devil lies to you, and he makes you feel guilty for that, and you feel horrible. But God doesn't do that. Here's what God says, that if you sin, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, I blew it, and I did this thing that I wasn't going to do. I did it. I, I messed up. Oh, you, you feel so guilty. Here's God wants you to, so that you can say, God, I confess it. And as soon as you confess it, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's comfort. See, he said, when you mourn over the loss of a loved one, when you mourn over, over your sin, listen, it's, you're happy. 
when you mourn. Why? Because I'm here to comfort you. There's nothing like the comfort of Jesus Christ when you are mourning. And so he says, number one, you're going to be happy if you're poor because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then you're going to be happy if you mourn because you're going to be comforted. And then he says, happy, he says, happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. Now, why are the meek happy? Here's why. He says they're going to inherit the earth. That is, they're going to inherit the land. Remember, he's talking to people whose land has been taken away from them. It, right now, there's fighting over the nation of Israel about a hunk of land that we looked at just a minute ago. And they're fighting over that land. Somebody asked me in the early service, are you going to talk about Israel today? I said, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Israel. Because uh, we, we need to understand the context of this passage Jesus is looking at them. There were, were people that were fighting. They Roman, Roman, uh, Rome owned that land. They had taken possession of that land. They had occupied that land. And they were in subjection to that land. And there was a, a revolution. Uh, there were people, zealots, that wanted to take back that land. And by the way, it is God-ordained. God-ordained governments to protect their people. And there are wars that are, that are holy wars that are when, when, when God's, when, when government people are, are compelled to protect their citizens, that is righteous and that is good. But here he's speaking to individuals who are bitter about their land being taken away. Right now, again, the, it's for, for centuries there's been fighting over that land. So when will Israel get that land? Well, the Bible tells us Israel, when Israel meekly bows before Jesus, the land will be theirs. Uh, the Bible says this in 2 Chronicles. This was a, a passage written specifically to the nation of Israel. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. This is a promise to the nation of Israel. We can take it and practically apply it to our land as well. I pray for our land all the time. We've walked away from the God of our land. America has walked away from our God. The reason we have all the crazy teachings of the transgenders and the crazy stuff that's going on all around us isn't because uh, of just sexual immorality. It's because we've walked away from the God of truth. And when we do that, you walk away from his truth. And then people don't know that two plus two equals four. And they can't tell what a woman is or a man is. They're, they're, they're confused. They're unstable. But the Bible tells us this, that the, 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 the land of Israel will one day, one day, in the middle of the tribulation, that's a totally different message, but I just want you to understand, in the middle of the tribulation, the, the, when the wrath of God begins to pour down on the Antichrist, the nation of Israel will once again, in meekness, turn back to Jesus Christ, recognize Jehovah God and recognize that Jesus is Jehovah and they will receive him as their Savior. And when they do that in meekness, when they do that in meekness, then God will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. 
We need to understand that in a personal way as well. The Bible says this, that we do not need to take vengeance on those who hate us. We must submit to God. When, when we humble ourselves before God, God intervenes for the meek. Dearly beloved, he says, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God wants us to go to him in dependence and say, God, this is happening. God, we need you. God will take vengeance for those who are meek before him. And he'll give you what he has for you if someone takes it away. Not only that, we know, as I said just a minute ago, one day Jesus will return to this earth and will control, will control, uh, we will be in control of this earth for him. We'll, we will rule and reign with Christ. The Bible says that I saw heaven opened and a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true. And again, in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and he's going to end. That will be the war that ends all wars. It won't be long. He's going to come. His feet's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And he is going to wipe out those who reject righteousness. And he's going to establish a 1,000-year reign on this earth. And the meek will inherit the earth. Say amen to that. We need to understand that Jesus is coming here, and Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be happy. Here's how you be happy. Rejoice not in your, in your condition, but rejoice in the position that you have. You have a position. And when you're poor in spirit, you, you have the kingdom of God. When you mourn, you're going to be comforted. You have a position. The condition is tough. But listen, rejoice in the position. He says if you're meek, Listen, uh, you're going to inhabit the earth. Rejoice in the position you have as a child of God, as an heir to the throne of God, as a, as, a, as a member of the kingdom of God. Rejoice in your position. Then he says this, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Why does he say Happier those who hunger and thirst. Here's why. It's very simple. He says, because they're going to be filled. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, God will fill you with righteousness. I like what Brother Sam said a little while ago about getting into the Word of God and digging into the Word of God and being reminded that we need to be in the Word of God daily. Listen, God has given you righteousness. Don't you get tired of the filth and the garbage? To turn on the TV and you, or you go on the internet or you go on Facebook and it's this guy hates this guy and this guy's a liar and this guy's a crook and, and don't you get tired of hearing about all the transgender stuff and the corruption in Congress and the corruption in the Senate and don't you get tired of hearing about Biden's corrupt dealings and don't you get tired of hearing filthy four-letter words coming out of conservative politicians? Can you say amen to that? Don't you get hung, don't, don't you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Don't you get tired of going, having 18 million, when I was a kid we had three channels, you have 8 million channels now and you can't find a clean thing to watch. Don't you get tired of filth? By the way, I am thrilled. There's a, there's a company, I don't, know who, I don't know much about them, but they, they call themselves the Great American Family Channel and they call the Great American Living Channel and the Great American Community Channel and the Great American Pure Flix and I know they're good, solid uh, a Christian-based company because the media hates them. And so, uh, so, so I'm just excited about that. 
And I pray every day that God will raise up people in movies and in, in, in media and in politics. Uh, I, I just, I want you to know, uh, uh, we, you, there, there's options. If you're hungry for righteousness, God will fill you. You can go to the Word of God every day. You can get that, I like the U, the, the U version app that you can get on your phone and you can listen to the Bible. Well, you're rushing around, you can listen to the Bible. You say, well, I don't listen. If I listen to it, I just don't, uh, I don't get, pick up as much. It's better to listen and pick up a little than not to listen at all and pick up nothing. Can you say amen to that? It's just reasonable, okay? So, so use it. Use the Thrive devotionals that are available to you. Get the ladies' devotionals that are available to you. Listen, the Word of God is out there and available to you. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, God will fill you. And that's the comforting thing. He says, look, he says, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And then he says this. He said, blessed are the merciful. Now, he's talking to a group of people that have been abused. He's talking to a, a group of people that have been misused, he's, that are persecuted, that are oppressed. And, and when that happens to you over and over again, you get vengeful. You want, you want, you, I don't know about you, I, I watch, I like watch action movies. And I can't stand it when the guy's getting away with it and getting away with it and getting away with it. I love it when the bad guy gets it in the end. <laughs> you say, that's right. Yeah, you're just as bad as me. <laughs> I want vengeance. But here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, blessed or happy, happy are the merciful. Why? Why are they happy? Because they'll obtain mercy. I don't want justice in my life. I don't want justice. I want mercy. I'm driving down the road a few years ago, going down Jones Boulevard. I'm, uh, I'm heading out for a Christmas trip, and uh, I, a cop comes right up beside me and says, ah, ah, ah. I thought, ah, I'm in trouble. I pull over. He gets out and says, what, what did you think you were doing? What did you think you were doing? And I said, I guess I wasn't thinking. He said, you're right. I said, I said, what? He said, he said, you're going, you're going 50 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. I pulled up and I thought he'll see me in his rearview mirror, but you obviously didn't. And then you took off and went 55 miles an hour. He said, I didn't want to stop you because my license plate is Liberty and uh, he knew I was a preacher. And so he, I don't want to, I didn't want to, but I, he said, how could I not stop you? I had to stop you. I said, oh, you know what I wanted at that time? I didn't want justice. <laughs> I wanted mercy. And he was merciful and I was so glad. Blessed are the merciful because they'll obtain mercy. We, we oftentimes want vengeance. We want God to get them. Listen, here's mercy. Mercy is those that take pity on those who don't deserve pity. M mercy is, is those who are afflicted by the suffering of others so much when they see that they take action to do something about it. Mercy is is a, is is is, is saying, look, this person doesn't deserve my love, but I'm going to give it to him anyway. 
at that day, in that day, there was a desire for vengeance. And I'm telling you, with the political atmosphere that we have, and what goes on when it comes to you, we have, we have a wonderful new Christian speaker of the house. He is a godly, wonderful man. Yeah, he deserves that hands. Uh, he, he deserves, he, he, anyway. You need to understand, he will be the devil incarnate. Everything he does is going to be wrong. It's going to be horrible. And you're going to want to say, God, just get them. But the Bible tells us this, that we're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for those who abuse us and, and misuse us. In Ezekiel, God says this to Israel. He says, say unto, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his wicked ways and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Look, he's saying, he's saying very simply, I don't take pleasure in chastening my children, and he doesn't take pleasure in killing the wicked. People will ask me, why doesn't Jesus, why hasn't Jesus come back? It's, look how terrible things are. Why hasn't Jesus come back? And the answer is given in Peter. Peter says this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He hasn't forgotten that he promised that he would return, as some men count slackness. But his long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he didn't come 100 years ago because I wouldn't be in heaven. I wouldn't even be, exist. I bet you're glad he didn't come before 2008 because you wouldn't be a child of God. The fact of the matter is, I'm, I'm so glad that he is merciful and long-suffering. He hasn't come back, and I don't know when he's going to come back. It looks like it's very soon to me, but the truth of the matter is, I'm just thankful that he's merciful. The Bible says that we should be thankful because if we're merciful, we will obtain mercy. We need to understand this, that forgiveness, you say, how do I be merciful to people? The key, key is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, Jesus told the story in Matthew chapter 18 of a man who was rich, and he had all sorts of servants. And one servant was a lousy servant and owed him all sorts of money. And so he said to the servant, come to me. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm selling you and I'm selling your kids and I'm selling you and I'm taking all your possessions and you're going to jail because you're a crook. And the guy said, oh, please, please, I'll pay. I'll, please forgive me. Please, I, I'm sorry. I'll, and I'm, I'll get to it. I'll do it. And the master looked at him and said, okay, you know, in a moment of compassion, I'll forgive you the debt. Since you pleaded your case, I'll, I'll forgive you the debt. That wicked servant went out to another one of his fellow servants after he'd been forgiven everything. He went out to one of his fellow servants and he said to his fellow servant, you owe me money. And the guy said, please forgive me. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back. I just don't have it right now. And he said, no, you're going to jail. You're getting it. Uh, you're, you're, and, and he turned him over to be placed in jeopardy because he wouldn't forgive the servant. Well, the other servants saw that happen and said, man, they went back and they told the master. And the master got really irate. The Bible says this, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, thou wicked servant, 
I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him up to tormentors. Now, that's an amazing thing that he did that. But listen to what Jesus says next. The Bible says, so likewise, Jesus said this. Jesus said, so likewise will my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother's trespass. Wow. When you say, I am not going to be merciful, that person hurt me, that person did this to me, that person, uh, that person doesn't, forget, doesn't deserve forgiveness. No, none of us deserve forgiveness. But God's forgiven us everything. And so if I want to be merciful, I must say, I'm willing to forgive. You say, what if I still feel bad? Forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. Forgiveness has to do with you saying out loud to God, God, I forgive them and I will treat them uh, right. I'll treat them no matter what they do. I will treat them right. I forgive them. When you do that, a burden will be lifted off your shoulders because you will have begun to live in mercy. And the Bible says that when you're merciful, you'll be happy. You'll be happy because God will be merciful to you. Wow. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then he says this, happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. Why are you happy if you're pure in heart? Here's why. This is interesting. He says, because you get to see God. You get to see God. Wow, that's amazing. You get to see God. What does he mean by that? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want you to see, how, answer this question. How do you get pure in heart? People say, well, I'm just going to start doing good. I've got a list of rules. These are the things that I'm going to do. And then we become like Pharisees. I'll do this and do this and do this and then do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and then I'll be pure in heart. No, that's not how you do it. Here's how you do it. You go to God and you confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Remember this verse? And to cleanse us. That's how you get your heart clean. You just confess your sin. God, I blew it again. I blew it again. Now you're pure in heart. That's how you get pure in heart. David said it this way. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He, you remember what happened here? He, had, uh, he, had, he committed adultery with his good friend's wife, and then he had his, uh, he had his, good, friend, he had his good friend murdered. Remember that? Murder and adultery. So he now has been caught, and, and a, a prophet uh, confronts him, and he goes alone with God, and he says, God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I've done this evil in thy sight. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. Thou shalt make me know wisdom. And then he says this, purge me. I can't clean myself. Purge me with hyssop. The hyssop is a plant that's a, a minty a plant that takes away the stench of your body. He says, would you just wash me so I don't stink in your sight anymore and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's how you get a pure heart. You get open and honest. You confess your sin to God, and then you get open and honest with God, like David did. <laughs> you say, well, how do you stay pure? Here's how you stay pure. 
You stay pure by, by remembering that you're a child of God and that he's coming to get you. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Sometimes we get so busy in life and we're doing this and we're doing that, we forget, hey, Jesus could come any minute. But if I keep that in mind and I remember I'm his son, it'll keep me pure. Once I've been pure, it'll keep me pure. So, now, the question is, how does the pure in heart see God? It's very simple. You, you will see God because he will work through your life touching others. You, I've told you the story of my, my wife um, walking down that hallway many years ago. And we had just had a whole bunch of shoes given to the church and little boys walking down the hallway with no shoes. And she said, son, where are your shoes? And he said, I don't, I don't have any shoes. She said, you don't have any shoes? He said, no. Like, it was it okay for me to be in church without shoes? And she said, hey, why don't you come with me? And she took him out to the storehouse and, and there was boxes of shoes. And she found a pair of shoes that fit on him. And she kept saying, listen, I want you to remember God gave you these shoes. I want you to remember God gave you these shoes. I want you to remember God gave you the shoes. And she, he was putting on the shoes. And finally he asked for another pair for his brother. And she said, okay, I'm going to give these to you, but I want you to remember God gave you. And then all of a sudden his eyes got real big and he looked up and said, oh, lady, are you God? <laughs> now she got to see God work through her life. She got to see God work through her. And that's what happens. I was at the KOA Grant campground a few weeks ago and I walked in and I was, I was registering, and I said, as, as I was finished, I reached in my pocket, and I said, hey, can I give you something really good? And she said, what is this? And she read it. You can know you're going to heaven. And she said, oh, and she grabbed my hand. She said, oh, God sent you. I said, uh, okay, give me my hand back. No. Uh, she said, she said, she said, uh, she said, I, I just moved here like three days ago, four days ago. And she said, she said I've, been, I've been praying that God would give me a church. And, and, and now you're here. Where are you located? I said, in Las Vegas. And she said, uh, she, I said, but you know, I have a friend just a few miles from here. And I, I hooked her up with a church that was just 5.7 miles away. That was God. God did that. God did that. You will have the privilege, if you're pure in heart, to see God work through you. A man in a church named John this past week told me he'd been, he's been sick for, for 10 years with a disease that could not be healed over and over. We've prayed for him for 10 years to get well, and he hasn't gotten well. He told me this about a month or two ago. There's a treatment that he's using that's really helping him out, and he can actually eat and retain food. Was, I'm just, I was thrilled. I thought, man, look what God's doing. He told me he was at an athletic club this past week, and I don't want to mess up the story, but he was at an athletic club, and he said, he said he always wondered why God allowed this to happen to him for 10 years. He, he said he, was, he came out, and he saw a man that he hadn't seen for years, or for like two years. He walked in, and he said, hey, and he gave him a hug. He said, hey, good to see you. And the guy said, man, he said, I was praying that God would let me see you. And he said, why? He said, I have a friend that I want, you to, I want to introduce you to. Let me go get him. He said, he wound up having the same disease that you have. And he said he has been sick and he's, he's at the point of depression. He wants to take his life. He's thinking of suicide. He said, I know you could help him. And, and, and John went up to him and said, said, uh, said, he began to talk to him. And, and he said, I began to cry crocodile tears. And the guy said, what's wrong? He said, 
He said, for 10 years I've wondered why God is doing this to my body. And he said, now you're standing here in answer to that prayer. God did this for me so I could be a help to you. That person got to see God. I want you to understand that as he works through other people, you'll see God. You'll see God working. But not only that, one day you'll see him face to face. The Bible says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as we are known. One day we're going to look at Jesus face to face. And that's a wonderful thing. So happy are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. And then he says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Now he's talking to a bunch of people. And remember, there's zealots in the auditorium or up there on that mountain. And they're not thrilled about being peacemakers. They want the Messiah to kill, wipe out the, the Romans. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they're going to be called the children of God. They're going to be called the children of God. Why are peacemakers called the children of God? Well, first of all, because they've made peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. They have peace with God. And when you make peace with God, you, have, you become a, a child of God and you're known as a child of God. The thing that stops us from being peacemakers is pride. And that's why God says he hates pride. There are six things that, that the Lord hates. One, one is a proud look. God hates pride because it keeps us from being forgiving and loving and being the peacemakers. You say, why, why is that? Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13 that only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Why do we have fighting and fussing in Washington, D.C.? Why do we have fighting and fussing in Christian homes? Why do we have fighting and fussing in churches? Why do we have fighting and fussing all over the place? It's because of pride. Pride hinders us. But when we humble ourselves before God and we do what we can to make peace in our homes, peace in our church, peace in our jobs, when we, when we do what we can to have peace in our, in, our, in, our, uh, in our nation, then people look and say, wow, that must be a child of God. You will be called the children of God. Why, why, is the, why am I happy if I'm a peacemaker? Because people will see, hey, that person's a child of God. And then lastly, he says this, and this just sounds so crazy. He says, blessed or happy are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. You just don't put persecution together with happiness. But he says, blessed are you when you're, you're happy when you're persecuted. You're happy. Why? Because he says, great is your reward in heaven. Can I tell you this? When you speak truth, People will hate you for it. So what are you supposed to do? Be happy. When you tell religionists that his religion won't save him, he'll hate you for it. Be happy. Don't look at him and smile and irritate him, but be happy. When you tell the evolutionists that his teaching is false, he'll hate you for it. Be happy. When you tell the immoral man that he will answer to God, as John the Baptist told Herod, He'll hate you for it. Be happy. When, you're, when you tell an atheist that God loves him, he'll hate you. Be happy. Why? Why should you rejoice? He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. And then he goes on and says, they persecuted, they persecuted the truth proclaimers, the prophets in the Old Testament, and they're going to persecute you. Paul said this, he said, uh, he said, yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not a maybe, it's going to happen.
So he said, rejoice, be happy. God tells us who we are. He tells us that we are his children. He tells us that, that we, have, we are part of the kingdom, that we are messengers. We're here on this planet in whatever capacity God places us in, whether it's as a warrior, whether it's in the military, whether it's uh, working at your job, whether it's in the U.S. Senate, whatever it is, God places us where we are so that we can represent him. So do it happily. If you're poor, you have the kingdom of heaven. If you mourn, you have his comfort. If you're meek, you, you have the land. If you're, if you're hungry and thirsty, he'll fill you for righteousness. If you're, if you're merciful, you're going to have his mercy. So be happy. If you're pure in heart, you'll see God. Be happy. If you're a peacemaker, you'll be called the children of God. Be happy. If you're persecuted, be happy. Because you're living kingdom truth. Why should you be happy? Why should you be happy? Because you are here to represent God. And, and you are here to do His will. In a corrupt world, there's going to be problems. But you have something beyond that. You don't rejoice in the condition. You rejoice in the position that God has placed you in. You are His representative. Let's pray. Father, pray you help us to take what we've heard, help us to apply it to our lives. God, may we represent you in everything that we do and everything that we say. God, may, may, you, us, may, we, may we take this truth, not just hear it, but live it for your glory. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.